of Easter. But to the Jesus followers present at the scene, it must have seemed that the world as they knew it was falling apart. One of the challenges of reading the crucifixion story 2,000 years after the event took place is that it's difficult for us to empathize with its participants. From our perspective, the Easter crowds seemed insanely fickle. Jesus' disciples seemed utterly clueless. The members of the Sanhedrin, contemptibly evil. Pilate, laughably corrupt. Those things are true. Nobody except Jesus behaves well in the Good Friday story. But it's these very people, fickle, clueless, evil, corrupt, that Jesus died for. The truth is that we have much in common with the fools and the villains of Easter. The wonder is that Jesus loved them and us enough to submit to foolishness, injustice, and death. The miracle is that three days later, he rose from the dead to offer us salvation. Hallelujah. What a Savior we serve. Welcome. We're glad that you're here for the, the Good Friday service, the combined Good Friday service this year with, uh, between Cross Point and Eureka Bible. We're glad that you're here tonight. I came across that reading a couple weeks ago and uh, just kind of struck me, uh, and not just with the Good Friday story, but how often I read stories in the Bible and just kind of shake my head. You know, Peter, what were you thinking? Moses, seriously? <laughs> and, and the list can go on and on, right? And then as I'm reading this, it kind of reflects back on myself and say, ask myself, well, if somebody was reading my story, would they say, Aaron, really? Oh, come on. But Jesus died for Peter. Jesus died for Moses. Jesus died for Aaron and, and all of us here. And, and so how wonderful that is. We're here tonight, and again, we're might seem odd to celebrate the death of our, our Savior, the death of, of our Lord, but we know what's coming. We know that Easter is coming. So let me open us in prayer and we will, uh, we will worship together. God, I thank you for your love for us. It's, uh, it's abundantly clear that, um, that not a person in this room is deserving of, of that display, that, that action of love where you died on the cross for us. God, but we are humbled that you would do that, that your love drove you to do that. God, we thank you for it. My prayer is that as we are here tonight, God, that we would push everything else, uh, not push it aside, but, but give it over to you. God, focus on you. Really, really think about and contemplate this story. God, some of us have heard it hundreds and hundreds of times, but yet it's, it's no less powerful tonight. And so my prayer is that you'd be honored and glorified through all that happens this evening. God, that our relationship with you would, uh, would grow deeper through this evening, that our worship would be pleasing to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you guys stand up with us and join us? What can watch? Nothing but the blood of Jesus And what can make me more of Him Nothing but the blood of Jesus And no precious is our flow 
celebrate that our Savior is risen. Amen? And we can, <coughs> excuse me, we can, uh, boy, the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Amen? Let's sing, Oh Lord my God.
for giving us your son. Lord, thank you for uh, being willing on our behalf to come down and, uh, and give yourself, your life, sacrificially for us, that your blood was poured out on our behalf, that you took your, our sin upon yourself and you gave us your righteousness so that we could stand freely before our God, our Father, in uh, perfect holiness and righteousness and be uh, forgiven and free. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. I'd like to read for you this evening some scriptures from the Gospel of John. 
you can listen along, or if you have a Bible with you, you can follow along. We're reading from John chapter 19, starting at verse 31. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day it was, be, was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. And he testifies so that you may believe. These things happen so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, and not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And I want you to know, I asked Dave Steinbeck if I could see the clock from here. He assured me that I could, but I cannot. So, backup plan. It might be, yeah, those that know me say, thank God for that. Okay? You know, we live in a world that's often full of tragedy and, and sadness, don't we? We've already alluded to the fact that this is Good Friday and this is, in its very nature, a, a, a day that's marked by a certain amount of sadness and tragedy. But those sorts of tragedies and that kind of sadness hasn't ended since 2,000 years ago. My wife and I spent about 10 or 11 years living in Belgium. So you can imagine that we were especially touched this week as we heard reports and about the bombings that took place in Belgium. We've been in that airport many, many times. We have friends that live there. We've been watching their Facebook updates. Lots of tragedy and sadness there. You don't have to look too much further, and you can see that there's tragedy and sadness, especially coming out of the Middle East. Thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that are displaced. Displaced and looking for a place where they can be safe, and we see that whole countries have had their Christian populations almost completely eradicated or, or put to flight. A little closer to home, I was reading in the Chicago Tribune online this morning. They keep a record. If you're ever interested, go to the Chicago Tribune and you can get a running total on how many people have been shot to date in the city of Chicago. 678 as of midnight last night, in case you're interested. Tragedy. Sadness. And one of the things that often comes to mind as we, as we read about these things, as we hear about these things, or as it comes very close into our life as we're touched by these things, is, you know, where is God in all of this tragedy and sadness? Where is God? Well, I, I hope, you know, we're not going to give a whole bunch of answers, but I'd like us to look at this passage tonight because it, to me it's been of help in answering and contemplating that question. It was about 3 o'clock Friday afternoon some 2,000 years ago, and it was the highlight of the, 
of the spring Jewish life, the Passover season, people would stream into Jerusalem from all over, from all over Israel and really from all over the world, people that worshiped the God of Israel. And it was a special time, and they were coming to observe Passover, the remembrance of their freedom, their freedom from slavery. So just as, as we use the 4th of July as our remembrance of freedom, this was kind of what the Passover meant to the Jewish people. So the city was packed. It was thronged by tens of thousands of people that were visiting. But outside the city, there was another drama that was, that was being played out. Because outside the city was the reminder that they were not yet free, that there was the, the power of Rome, and the power of Rome had decreed that three men were going to die that day. They were going to die by crucifixion. You know, we have in our laws here in the United States that, that punishment should not be, what's the term? Cruel and unusual, right? Isn't that what we say? We don't want punishment for wrongdoing to be cruel and unusual. Crucifixion was designed to be cruel and unusual. It was a kind of death that was designed to inflict pain, to have people die slowly. In fact, historians tell us that oftentimes people that were faced with crucifixion, they would, they would hang on a cross for a day or even longer. It was a slow, agonizing death. People were crucified to make an example of them. But it's Passover, as we read here in John 19, and the, the Jewish leaders had, uh, they knew their law, they knew the book of Deuteronomy, they knew that uh, if, if somebody was hung on a tree, they were to be taken down by, by sundown, or that would defile the land. So they went to Pilate, their overlord, their Roman ruler, and they asked him if he would hasten along the death of the three men that were hanging outside the city. They asked if they would have his, their, their legs broken. Gives us a little bit of an idea of the cruelty and inhumanity of the time that we had to take a whole sentence almost to describe what they were asking. They wanted to have the legs broken of the men being crucified so as to hasten their death. In Latin, the language with which Pilate was acquainted, which was he, he would be speaking they had one word for that whole phrase. They had one word for it. It was called, excuse my pronunciation if you speak Latin, the crura fragium. That's what it meant. They asked for that to be done because uh, they wanted these men to die quickly so they could take them down from the cross and put them in the grave and move on. So Pilate gave the order. The soldiers knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly what that word meant. They knew it meant to take the heavy mallet and to go and to break the legs, the shin bones of the men that were being crucified. That would cause extra shock to the system. It would also make it very difficult for the men being crucified to take a breath because they, their body weight would sag down and the the arms would hang. It would be very difficult to breathe. So the order was given and the soldiers did their duty. And the soldiers came and they broke the, the legs of the two men on the outside first. 
and they knew that they would die before too long. But then they came to the man in the middle, Jesus. And probably because Jesus had been so severely, severely beaten before he was ever hung on the cross, they found out that Jesus was already dead. He was already dead, so they passed him by. Now, there's something I want to point out to you here. These Roman soldiers who were trained, who had everything ingrained into them to obey orders, they did not do here what they were told they were supposed to do. They did not break the legs of Jesus. And that may seem like a small and insignificant detail in the story that we read here in John 18, but I assure you it's, it's quite significant. The soldiers that were trained without, to obey orders without question don't do what they were supposed to do. But God's purposes were being fulfilled in that. And so we see Jesus there, the man in the middle, and for many people that some of them were standing there still at the cross, some of them knew Jesus as a teacher and he had a, quite a reputation as a teacher. Some knew him as a healer and he had a reputation as a healer. Some knew him as a great leader. Some even would confess him as king. And a few would even say that this man was the son of God himself. That he was already dead. So his legs were not broken, but a soldier comes by and he takes a spear and he goes up toward Jesus who's hanging on the cross and he thrusts the spear under the rib cage up and toward the heart and lungs to remove any doubt that this man was dead. And there was an eyewitness there, perhaps John himself, who said these things and he, he says he took, he took note of it. He said there was blood and water that flowed out and because theologians are theologians and because pastors are pastors, they've been talking about that ever since, what that meant. Some people say, well, it's, uh, it's a sign of communion, the blood, and the sign of baptism, the water. It's a sign of salvation, the blood, and, and of cleansing of Christian life in the water. I'd like to suggest to you it just means that Jesus was human. Jesus was very human. John was writing at a time where there was a heresy going around that said Jesus only seemed to be human. And John said, uh-uh, let me tell you, I was there. I have it on good authority. He was very, very human. He died a very human death. The other significant thing about this is that here is a Roman soldier that was trained to obey trained to obey without question. And he does something that he was not told to do. There's no record in any of the Scriptures that he was given an order to take that spear and pierce the side of Jesus, but that's what he did. It might seem small. It might seem insignificant. But God's purposes were being fulfilled in what he did. So this is what we have. We have this scene at the cross and uh, Jesus is, is sadly and, and tragically dying, has died. And we see the soldiers there and, and some of the soldiers are not doing what they should have done, what they were told to do. 
And one of the soldiers has done something that he was not told to do. And I'd like to suggest to you that's kind of a model for what's so wrong with the world. It's what's so wrong with the world. The world is full of people, people like me, people like you, people that that make bombs and blow them up, people that take a gun and shoot somebody else, people that force people into exile, all of us. Some of us are doing things that we should not do, and others of us are neglecting to do the things that we should do, and that's the problem. That's the problem. So the question is, where is God in all of this sinfulness, in all of this evil, in all of this terrible occurrence where men are doing things they should not do or doing things they were told not to do? What God is doing is is keeping His promises. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. And he quotes from Exodus 34. I mean, Exodus 12 and Psalm 34. Not one of his bones will be broken. See, people were doing what they should not have done or were doing what they were told not to do, and yet God was even using the evil of men to fulfill his purposes. Where he, we read in those passages about the the lamb of the Passover who would not have a, a, a bone broken. And then we turn to Zechariah chapter 12 and we see that, uh, that there as well that uh, there was another fulfillment of prophecy because it says there that in a rather confusing prophecy, it says that, that the Jewish people, that all people are going to be looking at the one whom they had pierced probably didn't make a lot of sense to Zechariah, didn't make a lot of sense to the people of his time, but here God is fulfilling his promises, fulfilling his prophecies. See, none of these things were accidents. All of these things were purposeful. And somehow, in a way that I don't understand, God was even taking the, the evil that people should not have done. And the evil that people did that they were not told to do. And he was working out his purposes of bringing salvation. You know, we live in a world where people like us, people like us routinely don't do what we should do. We don't do what we should do, right? You know where I'm coming from. We don't do what we should do, or we do things that we know we should not do. Theologians call that the sins of commission and the sins of omission, and we're all guilty. But somehow through all of that, God is keeping His promises. He's doing His plan of salvation. He's bringing it to fulfillment. Joseph in the book of Genesis chapter 50 probably puts it the best of any place else in Scripture. He's talking to his brothers who really abused him. And Joseph says to them, after they have figured out who he is, 
He says, you meant it for evil, all the things you did for me. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And that's why we call this day Good Friday. Not because it wasn't tragic and sad in its own ways, because it was. But because in the things that happened on this day some 2,000 years ago, God provided the solution for people who do not do what they should do and who do things that they should not do. He provided a path to forgiveness, to restoration, to wholeness, to restoration, to being the people that God has called us to be. And that's why this is Good Friday. It's Good Friday because Jesus gave his life so that we might have life. It's Good Friday because God invites us to come, to come and see his Son. It's Good Friday because we know that on Sunday, it's Easter Sunday, and all of this is going to be wrapped up. All of this tragedy and all of this sadness is going to find its fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus Christ by which we can have life and forgiveness and restoration and wholeness. It's Good Friday because on this day, we come to a table like this. And we remember, remember all that God has done for us, all of God's goodness. For people like us who don't do what we should do and do things we should not do, God gives forgiveness and restoration. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice of himself for his obedience to your calling in his life so that we might have life. We thank you. We worship you. We lift up your name. We accept your forgiveness. We come to you asking you to restore our hearts through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As we continue in worship, we're going to take part in communion as the body of Christ, as the body of believers. And in communion, we're called to remember the death of Jesus. Peter describes to us in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he says this, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the trees so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strain like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So when we take the bread and the juice, we are reminded that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was poured out to cover or to atone for our sin so that through faith in Him we might, again, die to sin and live for Him. 
Isaiah 53 reminds us that like sheep, ever since we've been born, like sheep, we've wandered away. We've strayed away. But through faith in Christ and by the grace of God that pursues us, we have returned to Him. Jesus is now the shepherd that we follow, the good shepherd who laid down His life for His sheep. Another truth that communion reminds us of is the unity within the body of Christ, which is a fitting truth for us to reflect on tonight. When believers participate in the Lord's Supper together, we are giving this clear sign of the the unity that we have with one another. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17. He says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So while we are two churches tonight, together we are reminded that Jesus died for the church. He didn't die for individual local churches. He died for the church, the church that encompasses all believers through all history and throughout all the world, that his death was enough to not only reconcile us to him, but reconcile us to one another, once orphans, now adopted, once lost, now found, now part of a spiritual family with Christ as the head with Christ who holds us together, who we are building up and and, and joining together alongside, and He is the head of that body. And so that is why we gather tonight, the chief shepherd of His church. And if you're a parent and you have kids here, younger kids, we'd encourage you to talk to your kids about communion in this time. If they're believers in Christ, we'd encourage you to have them take communion. Use this as an opportunity. If you're here with a household or here with your kids, use this as as an opportunity to pray with your family in the the time of us getting the elements and returning to our seats and before we take it together. So here in a minute, we're going to stand and uh, come to the front. The elements are up here. And so we'll stand and walk to the center aisle and grab the elements, walk out back that way. We'll have music going and an opportunity for you to pray, an opportunity for you to confess an opportunity for you to worship and and thank and remember the death of Christ, a death that, that was obedient to His Father but was compelled by love. The bread and juice are on top of one another, so make sure you get both of those. We'll take them together as one body of Christ afterwards. And so, the family of God, followers of Jesus, I invite you to stand now and let's take communion together. Isaiah 53 says this. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice.
Father, we are eternally grateful that you sent your Son to bear the weight of our sin. Thank you that the punishment was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed, that through faith and not by works, but through faith and by the grace of God, we can not only be saved, but we can be forgiven and set free. Father, thank you for the reminder of communion. Lord, we don't want to forget the cross. We don't want to not think about the cross for another year. We want to live fully aware of what the cross means, not only for our lives, but for those lives yet to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, we are grateful that we know how this story ends, and the story does not end, that you're still not hanging on a cross, Lord. We're grateful that the gospel includes that on the third day, you came back to life and you rose again. Thank you for how that hope is a living hope and how that changes everything. Thank you for the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection as a body of Christ, as the family of God, as, as, the, as, as the flock that you shepherd and oversee, Lord. We confess our, our gratefulness for that tonight. We worship you for that. We love you. We thank you that you first loved us, that long before we needed it, a Savior, and long before we knew we needed a Savior, that you died for us. And that now, through Christ, you're no longer counting our sin against us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter service, uh, 1015 at Eureka Bible on Sunday, 10 o'clock here. We'd love for you, if you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to attend one of those and celebrate the resurrection, celebrate that Jesus is alive and continues to change lives, including ours. We encourage you to meet somebody new before you leave. Happy Easter. God bless.